Cool. So today, um, again, we're going to be taking a break from Acts. We're going to be uh, just doing a topical message called Seasons. This is something that's been on my heart lately. And as I was uh, sitting down and studying for Acts, I just felt like I need to do this. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, it's something that's really kind of been, God's been stirring in me lately. Um, just with all the different seasons that we've been going through. But to start out, um, really, what is a season? You know, what is a season? Like today we're outside and we've had all this nice warm weather, even if it's been rainy and now it's it's cold. You know, we have jackets on. But, um, you know, obviously we know seasons are spring, summer, winter, and fall. Uh, maybe autumn if you're more cultured than I am. Uh, but, you know, different hemispheres. Uh, we have a, a friend who just got married to a girl from Brazil and they obviously have different seasons than we do. Their winter is our summer and our summer is their winter um, because of the shape of the earth and every way everything's pointed. But, you know, just a couple of definitions from Google that I thought were interesting. I think we could probably make a sermon out of any of these definitions if you were so inclined. But, uh, you know, each of the four divisions of the year um, uh, marked by particular weather patterns and daylight hours resulting from the Earth's changing position with regard to the sun. A period of the year characterized by a particular climatic feature, you know, such as snow or rain, you know, like the rainy season that they have in uh, certain parts of the world. Uh, or even right now we're having a rainy season, I think. But, um, you know, the time of year when a particular fruit or vegetable or other fruit is in season, you know, you go to the store and you buy strawberries and they're like 99 cents a pound. And then, you know, a couple months later you go buy them and they're try and buy them. They're like $7 a pound because they're out of season. Uh, or it's even a proper or suitable time or an unspecified or indefinite period of time, a while, a set or sequence of related television programs for us, you know, and uh, I think they call them series in England, you know, like series two, but we would call it season two. Um, you know, I can remember watching certain shows and you would say, oh, season three was way better than season two or season four was way better than season one. You know, we tend to make these comparisons based on these groupings of shows. Um, but it can also mean like seasoning your food, like adding salt or herbs or pepper or spices. You know, you might season the meat. Um, it could also mean to add a quality or feature to something, especially so as to make it more lively or exciting. You know, I, doing design work, a lot of the, the attention comes to the, the details. The, you know, when you start adding little details that flow together, that it really makes something that can be very bland um, much more exciting. Um, and I thought this was interesting. It's also to make wood suitable for use as timber by adjusting its moisture content to that of the environment in which it will be used. That if it's a dry environment, they dry it out. If it's a damp environment, they make sure it's damp. Um, I was watching this video the other day on uh, windmills in the Netherlands and how these are actual little factories. And inside they mill out grain or pigments or wood. But apparently they leave the wood that they harvest in the water near the windmill for up to a year to get out a lot of the impurities and make the wood condition right so that when they go to mill it, it doesn't warp and things, which I thought um, was interesting. And again, we could probably take any of these and in a spiritual note, make a sermon out of it. But that's not uh, what I'm looking to do today. You know, uh, before we get into some scripture, a couple more questions. You know, what, what's your favorite season? What's your favorite season? Mine growing up was winter. Definitely winter. Snow, sledding, snowball fights, snowmen. Now, yeah, right? Snowmen are a lot of fun, right? Yeah. Yeah, but now shoveling, <laughs> salting, other drivers, going to work, being cold, being old, <laughs> it's not as much fun as it used to be, right? Yeah. You know, like, I still would like to probably go skiing again, but uh, that's probably the most fun in winter I'm going to have, other than playing with my daughter and making snowmen. 
But you know, uh, you know, now it's probably late fall or late summer. Uh, you know, too much seasoning on your food is going to ruin the ruin your food as well. But just enough seasoning is going to bring the flavor out. You put a little bit of salt, and it brings the flavor out. But I think that seasoning can either make us bitter, can make us savory, or can make us sweet. And what did Jesus say in Matthew five thirteen? He says to all of us that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Ouch. He's saying that, hey, you got to season, season your meat with salt. Season your life with the seasonings. But if that salt and pepper in the kitchen, if that paprika, if that Old Bay, as we use down here in this region, doesn't taste like Old Bay anymore, you're just going to throw it out. Um, and that's no good. And God says that we as believers are the seasoning, are the salt of the earth. And if we lose our flavor, well, then... There's something very wrong here. And we'll see that, man, maybe God allows seasons in our life to make sure that we stay seasoned, that we stay tasty, that we stay salty. And not in the sense of an old sailor salty, but that we stay stay salty. So if you would, would you turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and we're going to read 19 verses here together. Um, Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, verse 3, Let there be light, and there was light. I love how, uh, how simple it was for God. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Then God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth bring forth grass. The herb that yields seed, and the fruit tree that yields fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yields seed according to its kind, and the tree that yields fruit whose seed is in itself according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And verse 13 says, So the evening and the morning were the third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good. So the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So we see the first four days of creation here. God creates plants and uh, the earth and light and darkness and separates things. But he says in verse 14, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. And that's interesting, you know, that the stars in the sky are used to determine, to mark out signs and days and seasons and years. And the word is moed, uh, maybe like you mowed your lawn, but uh, appointed place, appointed time or meeting, an appointed time in general, or a sacred season, a set feast, an appointed season, an appointed place, 
an appointed sign or signal or a tent of meeting, which is interesting. But it reminds me of when Adam and God walked in the garden in the evening. You know, that they had this appointed time every day that they would get together and they would walk and they would talk. You know, and I think sometimes in a sense that when Adam and Eve sinned, when God came looking for them, it was at that appointed time. And that's when they hid themselves because they knew that that was the time. But I remember growing up in the 90s, we had uh, TGIF on television. <laughs> you know, thank goodness it's Friday where... All your shows would be on, and they are all the special shows on TGIF, all the shows that we think are classic 90s shows now were on that. Um, you know, so that was it. We used Friday. It was a special day. Even today, if you work Monday through Friday, Friday is a special day. Or you go to school Monday through Friday, Friday is a special day. But if you work weekends, you know, uh, I've said to people before, have a good weekend. And they're like, well, I work the weekend. <laughs> so it's not a good weekend, I guess. Their weekend is Tuesday. But we still use these stars today, calendars, yearly feasts. Um, uh, you know, you better not be using the horoscope, but people use the horoscope based on the stars to, uh, for signs and seasons. But the, basically the point is still there, that people pay attention to the sky, they pay attention to the moon phases and these other things where our calendar is still based on it. 365 and a quarter days per year where I spend around going around the sun. And that's why every four years we have another day out of the calendar because it's not quite exactly 365 days. And that's why months are around the, the lunar calendar. They're about the time it takes for the, uh, the moon to go through its phases. But sincerely, you know, uh, can we track the times in our lives? And I don't mean to the stars in the heaven. I don't mean, are you a Leo, a Gemini, a, 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 a cuckoo, but to the stars and to the shining moments in our lives, or even perhaps to the dark moments in our lives. Because you look at the stars in the heaven, there's bright spots, and then there's usually big uh, expanses of dark spots, and then there's a bunch of little bright spots, and then some dark spots. And can we track the times and the seasons in our lives to so those bright spots and those, and those dark spots. And I would challenge you, I would probably think, yes. You know, I could think back in my lives, you think back, oh man, I remember when this was going on in my life, or I remember when these people were around, I remember we were doing this good thing or this bad thing. I remember when this hard thing happened, you know. These things mark these seasons and there are changes in our lives as we look back on our lives. But what do we do with all that? What do we do with all that? Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That God wants to number our days. Not only that we can mark the signs and seasons in our lives, but that we need to be able to number our days. We need to be cognizant of how much time we have on earth. And of course that's presumably because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what's going to happen when you walk out the door or you're going to be diagnosed with something. Um, but sincerely, God wants us to gain wisdom, and we can gain wisdom by how realizing that we're finite. A couple verses earlier, in, in verse 10, uh, it says, The days of our lives are 70 years, and if by reason of strength they are 80 years, yet their boast is only labor and sorrow, for it is soon cut off, and we fly away. That even if we live 70 or 80 years, which is probably way more of a miracle back then than it is now when we have health care <laughs> and you know airbags and you know organic food and no antibiotics, chicken, you know, all this stuff, you know, uh, it was probably more of a miracle then. But what does he say? Their boast is only labor and sorrow. That your whole life is what? After you realize that life is not being a kid, it's really just work and a lot of hard times and a lot of hard times. Uh, so it's wise to take account of our lives. I think it's very wise. The Bible says it's wise, so I better think it's wise. And, you know, I think we talk of the midlife crisis, you know, you're around that midlife, 40 years, 35, 40, 45, depending on how old you are, 
you know, maybe 20, I don't know. I think I went through a quarter-life crisis. <laughs> but I think in a sense, it's a God-ordained thing. I think in a sense, it's a pricking of our conscience at midlife, almost in the sense of God trying to wake people up to the reality that they don't have much time left, that they don't have much time left. You know, 80 years is 29,200 days, or that's 700,800 hours. So that sounds like a lot, but when you break it down to hours, you go 700,000, that's probably not too much. I mean, I don't make $700,000 a year, but 700,000 is a number I can kind of think about and kind of grasp. If it was like a billion, you know, I tried to bring it down to seconds, but the number was like in scientific notation. I'm like, I don't understand it now. But, you know, I'm going to be 35 this year. So that's 12,775 days. Or if I live to be 80, that's 43.75% of my life. That's what's scary. 43%. I know what 43% is. I know when, you know, when I'm 43% uh, through my day, I know when I'm 43% uh, low on gas, <laughs> you know, but that was when it's my life. It's over. It's gone. It's by. I can't go back. I can't change the past. I can't go back there and relive those things anymore. They're gone. You know, as Jacob would say in the morning, bah, it's gone. But I think it's super healthy to let these midlife, maybe quarter life, memory, maybe annual, maybe monthly, I don't know what it is for you and me, um, uh, maybe weekly crises come or crises come. Why? <laughs> that we might gain a heart of wisdom. And not that we're going to dwell in these crises, not that we're going to hang out in them, but that, uh, or, or should we solve them with a sports car or with a vacation or with a new haircut, or a shopping in a section of Kohl's that's definitely designed for people way younger than you are. I don't know what it is, but <laughs> you know, whatever this, this thing is, we're not here to, to go around and, and try and solve it with anything other than what the Lord might prescribe. And I think in these seasons, we need to seek God's wisdom and how to handle our failures. Maybe it's failures that have caused us to bring this crisis, that we're not where we thought we would be. We're not where our parents expected us to be. We're not where XYZ says we should be. Um, and maybe that's even the Lord. Maybe the Lord even spoke something to you and you're going, well, why hasn't it happened? Or why am I not there yet? Or wow, I know the Lord told me to do this and I've been disobedient or whatever the case may be, whatever reasons were there, we need to take a look at them and we need to ask God for his wisdom and how to handle them and how to handle our failures, even handle our successes. But ultimately, really what God has for us next in whatever season of life that is, like I said, we can't dwell in the past. We can't live in the past. So we need to, we need to ask God on how to handle the future, especially if I only have, uh, you know, 56 and a quarter percent of my life left. I, I kind of need, that sounds a little better. I'm kind of going to go with that <laughs> than the 43%. You know, Second Timothy 4.2, we know this verse, preach the word, but it says, be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. And I focus on in season and out of season because there's times in our life when we don't really feel ready. Or we don't really feel like we want to. We don't feel really like we're prepared. Or maybe we do feel like we're prepared, but it just isn't being received well. That Whether it feels good and it works good or whether it doesn't work good or it, whatever the case may be, whatever the season in life, God, Paul exhorts Timothy, and I think God would exhort us to preach the word, to be willing to give um, a testimony, to be willing to give a reason for the faith and the hope that is within us, as the scripture says. And I think we can kind of look at James one twenty three in a similar manner. For it says, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, and he goes away and he forgets um, you know, what he looked like a moment later. And I think that when God begins to prick our conscience, or maybe uh, we even get uh, down and out over something, um, 
that whether it's from circumstances or God putting uh, pressure on our life to get our attention, we shouldn't ignore these things. We shouldn't turn to them and then ignore them the next day. We shouldn't uh, bury them and put them away. Um, but we need to allow the Lord to, like we talked about, refiner's fires. God begins to bring maybe impurities or maybe other substances in us that he just doesn't want in us up to the surface like a refiner might do. You know, we watched a video on uh, this guy uh, making something out of silver he had laying around the other day. It was really interesting. But as it would boil, all the stuff would come out of it and it had bubbles because it wasn't really done right in the first chance. But that's what happens when God begins to bring this stuff to the surface in our life. We shouldn't just bury it again. We need to, we need to deal with it. Um, you know, I think if you guys ever played sports growing up, I played hockey, I played a little bit of soccer, um, you know, I played football occasionally with my friends and stuff. Um, uh, but, you know, if you watch sports, you see that they have these timeouts, whether it's at the end of the game, you know, in football, they, at, at the end, they have the two-minute uh, warning or they take timeouts and they, they step aside and say, okay, well, we've got two minutes left. What can we do in this last two minutes to try and get the point. What can we do? Um, you know, maybe in halftime, you know, you get in there with the coach and the coach is like, all right, well, this is how the first period went, or this is how the first two quarters went. We have two more quarters. What did we do wrong? What is the other team doing? How can we get it? And how can we win the game from this point on? Or if you are winning, how can we continue winning? You know, there's always the strategy meaning how can we reassess where we are and where we're going? Um, you know, they analyze their plays, analyze their strategies with what time they have left, you know, um, you only have half a game left, so you can't really play it out. Like, you can't really expect the time to work in your favor anymore. You kind of have to begin to work at it. Um, a lot of times we would do this even playing in uh, our World War II board game simulation where we would nerd out. for. If we play an eight-hour game, our wives would go nuts. But we would play this game, and the teams we'd go and we'd huddle. We'd say, okay, well, we only have this much time left. They're about to do this. What can we do? So there's always, there's always strategy. We do this in practical life. I think we tend to forget to do it in our spiritual life. We only have this much time left. What can we do? And I don't mean to, again, like we talk about not being purpose-driven or not being so goal-oriented that we forget about the spirit, but that in a practical spiritual sense, we do gain of heart of wisdom and say, well, I only have this much time left with my kids, so let me spend it with them. Or I only have this, minute, this much time left with my family or this much time left to do this or pay this off or do whatever, that we are wise with it. Um, and again, it's all to determine the best course of action. You know, if we do it with our budget, we only have X amount of dollars left till payday. Let's figure out how much we can spend at the supermarket. I think we should do that with our spiritual lives as well. Um, you know, to keep on going on like we've been going, or to play like we've been playing, or to spend like we've been spending, or maybe even live like we've been living, and expect to win if the results aren't winning so far, I think that that's foolishness in any activity. But I think when we allow that to happen in our spiritual life, that's that's even worse. You know, there's that saying that uh, uh, doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results is is insanity, is insanity. And it is. I mean, you know, that it really is. Um, but God wants us, I think, really to reach heaven. He wants us to bring others, but he wants us to arrive with as much return on our investment and really on his investment as possible. And I don't mean that in a sense where God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and rich, but God is investing in you and me, his spirit. He's investing in us gifts. And like he talks about the wise servants who then take these gifts and use them and analyze them and make sure that they're invested wisely, he gives them a return on it when they get to heaven. You know, Psalm 58, 11 says, So that men will say, Surely there is a reward for the righteous. Surely he is God who judges the earth. That when God comes to bring a judgment on the wicked and the righteous, we'll see that the wicked thought they had a reward but they don't have anything and the righteous who 
probably live life without much reward in it really do have a reward at the end and that there is a reward to righteous living um, even if it doesn't feel like it you know because why because god says there is a reward for the righteous um you know uh we won't uh turn there for time but psalm 73 uh, you know, we could read 1 through 19, and I'm just going to read a few excerpts of that. And he says, and you probably know this, he says, But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain. Surely I'm doing the right thing for no reason. He says, And he washed my hands in innocence, for all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. Every morning I get up and I've got a problem. Every morning I get up and things aren't going well. Every morning I get up and <laughs> my spouse is chastising me over something. Not my spouse, but maybe that's what he's saying. Maybe his enemies are at the door every morning. And he says, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. I began to have this midlife crisis. I began to think about what was going on. And it was too painful for me. I couldn't figure it out. I couldn't get it going. And, he, and then the psalmist says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. He said, it was too painful for me. I couldn't figure it out. But then I went and spent time with God in the sanctuary, in the quiet place, in the, the appointed place with God. And he says, I understood that. And he says, surely, God, you have set them in slippery places you cast them down to destruction. That although on the outside, it looks like the wicked are in a solid place. It looks like the wicked are living a good life. It looks like those who are rich without God have a great life. When you come to the sanctuary of God, the psalmist says, wow, they don't have a solid life. God has in fact allowed them to be in a slippery place. And perhaps the psalmist is even, we can infer from it that God not allowing the psalmist to have an easy life is saying that God has not allowed him to be in a slippery place. That if God allowed him to have an easy life, his life would be slippery, that he would be brought to destruction, that God put him in a hard place, that his life might be firm. And I think that that might be something that the Lord would say to all of us, that there is an end to the wicked. And that if our lives aren't successful by wicked standards, even if those standards on the surface look good, it's for our good. It's for our good. Is that we might remain righteous and then we might hold on to God until the end. Because if we had the blessings of the, of the rich, we had the blessings of the wicked, we might not hold on. We might trust in other things other than the Lord. And you know why? Because their end is coming. Their end is coming. It's their destruction, God says. And, it's, and our end is coming too, just like we count our days. But it's our reward. When our end comes in the Lord, we're going to find reward. You know, and again, God does not want us to be in slippery places. What does the scripture say? He wants us to stand upon the rock that is greater than I. You know, We think about guys like Moses or the prophets or David, you know, I think most of the people in the Bible we read about, if not all, uh, as our examples, all God's close friends, even the Lord himself, went through drastic, hard seasons. That a lot of them were not put in good places. The Lord himself even, you know, just think about his life. But for an example, if we look at the life of Joseph, Joseph's life was full of seasons. You know, we were just reading this with Mia recently. You know, remember he had the season where he's a favored son. He got a coat. He's getting all these awesome dreams from the Lord. Hey guys, you guys gonna bow this? Can you believe this? We're bowing down, and all this stuff's going on. And then what happens? He's in a ditch. His brothers hate him. They sell him into slavery. Talk about an opposite uh, season there in his life. Then what? It goes to another season. He finds favor, and he works for Potiphar. Uh, but then he's falsely accused, and he goes into another season where he's in prison. 
And then he uh, gets favor in the prison. So this season gets a little better. But then the guys he helps out, forget about him. And he goes into another season of being forgotten and abandoned. But then he interprets Pharaoh's dream by God's insight. He becomes second in command of all Egypt. Not too long ago, he was a slave. Not too long ago, he was in a ditch and his brothers are ripping up his coat. And now he's basically vice president of Egypt. And why? Well, it's to save his family and Israel. God allowed all these seasons, all these hard seasons in his life to put him in a place to help out his family when his family was going through a hard season. When the Israelites, um, who would be at one point in the future, are going through a hard season. When there's a famine, when the nation, when the world is struggling, when Egypt is struggling, God allowed Joseph to go through these seasons to provide for the world in a hard season. You know, his family is reunited. uh, His nation is saved. You know, but I think the best part about it is that Joseph wasn't bitter. He wasn't wasn't, um, over-seasoned. He, wasn't, he was right where God wanted him to be. And he says this in Genesis 15, 18 through 21. It says, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we are your servants. Wow, is that a, his dream come true or what? And Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Yeah, people in Asia might have looked at Joseph. And, well, he's kind of at the right hand of God because Pharaoh was like a God to them. Um, but he says, Am I in the place of God? You know, Do I really have... Any real power? You know, don't be afraid. But as for you, you meant evil against me. You know, let's be honest, guys. You wanted me dead. And it was only because of my brother that you guys sold me instead. But God meant it for good. God meant it for good. Excuse me. How many family problems do you and I have? But I was never thrown in a ditch. I was never sold to a band of traveling gypsies. And he says God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is today to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That's amazing. That Joseph goes through, I think, the most manic seasons any, anyone could ever imagine. And he comes out of it knowing that I'm not in the place of God. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to hold it against you. You know, this is a verse that is very intimate to me that God used this verse in my life after I first got saved. Uh, as God was healing my family, he healed a lot of hurts in my family and in my life from things that had happened, from a divorce and from other things that went on. And it's fine. I know that I don't know that I would have gotten saved if any of those hard things had never happened. And I don't know if my family would be in the place they would be today if that hadn't happened. And most of it, mostly, it's a good place. But, jo- but it's a hard place. But Joseph knew his place, and he knew God's place. And where's God's place? That's heaven. It's perfect wisdom. You know, Isaiah 55, 8, 9, God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts uh, than your thoughts. You know, if God knows best, if God is in heaven, well, then who are we to judge? God, I'm in this season, and it's so hard. Or I'm in the, you know, whatever the case may be. Well, if God's allowed us here, well, he's... He's got it for a reason. You know, he can see everything. Sometimes we can't see the forest for the trees, but remember we read that God created the trees. You know, I think sometimes uh, my kids think they know better. <laughs> it's a funny conversation and it's cute. But really, you know, the experience of a parent can go a long way. And I want my kids to have my seasoning in their life. I want to season them without them having to go through um, the fire. I want them to learn from my experience, good and bad. 
But Daniel 2, 20-22 says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom and wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with Him. You know, that, that God knows best, and even more than that, He's able to change the seasons on earth for us. You know, way more than El Nino or La Nina, God is able to change the seasons, not only physical seasons. Remember, God had power over the wind and the waves and the boat um, with the disciples, but also in the political season. It says he's able to raise up kings, cast down kings, bring people into office, put people out of office. Um, but it's, it's amazing. You know, even if you, you take this um, contemporary, con- I don't know what the word would be, but if we look at things now and we see that all these, uh, you know, God says your sin will find you out and all these sins of these politicians come out, and out and out and out, and yet they're not out of, out of office. God, well, it's God's in a sense wanting it to happen, allowing it to come out. But because we're so immoral, we we let it continue. Um, you know, we talk of decades or past administrations or cultural seasons. You know, they say that everything comes back into fashion eventually, and I really hope that's not the case. Uh, you know, I remember some of the clothes I wore in nineteen. I see kids wearing like neon clothes now. I'm like, I remember wearing neon clothes in 1990, and I thought they would never come back. <laughs> and now they're back. Um, you know, but Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, uh, Do not say, why are the former days better than these? For you do not inquire wisely concerning this. You know, sometimes we look back at the 90s, look back at the 80s, look back at the 50s or the 1820s, and we say, man, wasn't it better before electricity? Well, maybe it was, or maybe it wasn't, because somebody invented electricity because life wasn't that good without it. I don't know. Um, I'm glad there's air conditioning. I'm glad there's a refrigerator. I'm glad we have some of these things. But um, on the other hand, is, is it always all that better? But uh, Solomon here says, you know, you do not inquire wisely concerning this. The wisest man who ever lived, uh, who wasn't God, uh, says you don't inquire wisely when you look back uh, on your life and say, man, why was two years ago way better than today? Um, and I think we tend to do that. You know, that many times... During seasons or during hard seasons, I mean, I don't tend to look back on a good season. Uh, in a good season, it's when life is hard, I look back and go, man, it was so much better when X, Y, Z. Well, that's not wise. That's not wise. You know, we wish we could go back there, but we can't. We wish we could go have it come back around in our life, but a lot of times that's not going to happen. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when it's two degrees out in the winter, we go, man, I wish it was summertime. And then what happens when summertime rolls around? We go, man, I wish it wasn't 100 degrees anymore. <laughs> I can't wait to open up the windows in my house. And then you can open up the windows. You're like, put on the air. It's hot. You know, <laughs> We're very fickle when it comes to these changes. But if that's just in the physical realm, how much more so, I think, in the spiritual? You know, a lot of times uh, we think older seasons are better, but they weren't. You know, the enemy of our souls uh, loves to give us rose-colored glasses. You know that saying where you look back and go, man, wasn't it great? In college, when we went out and partied all the time, but you tend to forget when you were, uh, you know, sick the next morning or how much pain you had in your heart from those relationships. Uh, maybe it's old relationships you think back to. Maybe, man, maybe whatever is going rough in your life and you think back to old friends or old loves or whatever it was and, really? There's a reason why you're not with them anymore. Maybe they left you, I don't know, but maybe you left them for a reason. Maybe it's old habits. Man, life was much easier when I... Did XYZ all day, even if it was a bad habit. Um, friends or situations, you know, they can look good, but they're over for a reason. They're over for a reason. Maybe it's a good reason. Maybe God took them out of your life, like God took things out of my life. 
or maybe you put them out of your life because they were a good thing. Or maybe they were just, maybe it was just bad. Maybe you were the bad person in that relationship and it's over for a reason and maybe you shouldn't be around them anymore because you hurt them. I don't know. But there's a reason things are over. You know, there's a reason things are over. Because there's a time and a season, as we'll see, for everything. But, you know, I understand that good seasons are over. Maybe losing a loved one. Maybe someone passes away and you want them back. You know, uh, I think of my family getting older and I'm glad that they're still around. But it'll be sad when, when those seasons pass. Uh, maybe it's a happy season. Maybe it's a season without struggle. Um, you know, but the reality is that those times necessarily aren't better. We tend to make these equations in our life that if everything is going the way I want it, that life is good, and everything is not going the way I want it, then life is bad. And that's not wise. That's not wise. Um, you know, Ecclesiastes 9, uh, excuse me, 11, 9 and 10 says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, when you have 43.8% of your life, <laughs> and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these, God will bring you into judgment. He says, hey, when you're a young person, do what's good. Do what's, do what's right. Do what you know how to do. But no, be wary. Always have it over you that God will judge you for these things. That when the time comes, God's going to say, hey, what did you do with your life? And he says, therefore, remove sorrow from your heart and put away evil from your flesh. For childhood and youth are vanity. That young man, you've grown up now. It's time to work. Or young woman, it's time to, to be responsible or be a mother or whatever the case may be. Uh, stop being sad about it. Put away this evil desire. Put away this evil from your flesh. Don't do the wrong thing anymore. For childhood and youth are vanity. Yeah, it's fun being a kid, but it's vain. The end of the day, you know, you're pretending, and I love to pretend with my daughter, and it's fun, and I think it's super healthy for her to do that. <coughs> but if she's 36 and still playing with her imaginary friend, well, we've got bigger problems than that because it's vanity. It's not real. And in fact, at that point, it's, it's more than that. It's sickness. You know, we think about... Um, uh, you know, in reality, we, in reality, we're constantly growing up. You know, you can't stop yourself from aging. As you know, no matter what you see on QVC, it's not going to stop you from aging. Um, but at least physically, and I think we need to be doing so as as well as physically, emotionally, and spiritually. A lot of times we grow up physically, but we haven't grown up emotionally, and maybe we haven't grown up spiritually. And we need to do these things. We need to mature. I mean, and a lot of times that gets halted by looking back, looking back. We remember Lot's wife, right? God was bringing judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. God gave mercy to Lot and his family, and they left. But Lot's wife didn't really want to leave. And so as, Lot was, as Sodom was burning, she turned around, and God said, don't turn around and look back at that place. I'm judging that place. I'm judging that place that you lived and you had fun, and I'm judging your friends who used to hang out with, but I gave you mercy and grace. Don't turn around and look back there. And what did she do? Turns around and looks back. I don't know if it was like a nuclear explosion. <laughs> I don't know what the physicality or reality of it was, but she turned into a pillar of salt. She turned into a pillar of salt. And I think you and I, when we're going through life and God says, don't go back there. I'm judging that. I freed you from the judgment that that life would have brought you. Don't turn around. You'll turn into a pillar of salt. And I think a lot of us as believers, we turn into overly salty, bitter people because we turned around and, and longed for and desired something that God said, nope, I judge that and I don't want that to be any part of your life. And so we get mad at God. We judge God and we say, God, this, you're not doing something right. I long to be where the place that you're destroying. I mean, does this make any sense whatsoever? You're running away from a, a giant fire. Like they have this giant fire going up in Canada right now. And you turn around and run back into the fire. Well, what do you expect is going to happen? You're going to get burned. 
And uh, we need to pray for those people. There's a lot of people who have uh, lost um, everything, and I can't imagine that. But you know, I think in a sense, holding on to the past is not going to change the present for the better. A lot of times we hold on to the past because we, we, we think it's going to make our present better. We hold on to old relationships because we feel like we need them. We hold on to old habits or old styles or old whatever it is you and I hold on to because we think it's going to make our present better. Like every time we move, I realize I've been holding on to this. I need to throw it out. I haven't used it in a year. It's not making my life better. It's going to make my move more painful. And that's what happens in life. When we hold on to old things that we don't need to hold on to anymore, it just weighs us down. It burdens us. It, it makes life living even harder now. You know, imagine holding on to last winter when the summer comes. You know, Gabby has her coat on now and you've got a coat, Gus, and uh, I've got a long sleeve shirt. But imagine if we were wearing our heavy winter clothes in the middle of July because we didn't want to let them go. <laughs> you know, and it was hot out. We'd get sick. We'd have heat stroke. Or on the, on the flip side of that, you know, I remember... Uh, one of my old roommates and friends, uh, he's from Venezuela, and for some reason he didn't get cold in the winter. He'd be wearing flip flops, and we'd be going walking through slush to get to the supermarket. I'm like, Terry, aren't you cold? He'd be like, No way. <laughs> so I don't know. He just was immune to it. But me, I'd be freezing. I would be freezing. That's the same way. You know, it only hurts us more if we hold on to the past, if we hold on to an old season when the season is changed, because we can't go back. You know, it's going to give us frostbite or it's going to give us heat stroke. And I'm not saying that reminiscing is bad. Reminiscing can be good. It can be fun to remember. Oh, I remember when we did this. You go through the photo album and things. Uh, but to hang on to them and try and hold them on in, a healthy, in an unhealthy manner, um, you know, that's what hurts. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 12 says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then... As in the future with the Lord, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am know that there comes a time to put away the past. You know, there comes a time to grow up. There comes a time to leave the seasons uh, such as childhood behind. I remember this verse uh, years ago, just to get rid of video games. Not that uh, video games are really wrong. You know, if you use video games as a pastime or as a zone out thing, that's fine. But for me, God told me to put them away. And so, yeah, I've played video games here and there, you know, at a friend's house or um, on the computer, you know, once in a blue moon, I'll play one with some friends, but it's not my way of life anymore. And in fact, even when I try and play them now, it's just, it just doesn't hold it for me anymore. I realize how vain it is for me to do that thing. And I think that that's the same thing for a lot of people. Maybe it's not video games for you um, uh, or for me either now. Maybe it's something else that we need to put away that really um, is not something that we need to do anymore. Uh, and why? Because it's something that was good for a season, but it's not good anymore. It's, it's uh, you know, when you're a kid, you don't need to make money, but now, you know, you can't stay home all day and play video games. Some people do that and make money, but I don't know. But really, what about hard times or dry times? You know, there's this famine going on in Venezuela, that there's people fleeing to island nations, that there's rioting, that the government is arresting people and torturing people because they're not getting enough food, that their economy, their society is collapsing because... Uh, you know, soapbox, socialism doesn't work. You know, people always uh, make it corrupt and rotten. But spiritually, when there's dry times, when there's famine, we need to look to God and remember what he's instructed us in the past. And man, when you're going through a hard season, we need to remember, all right, well, why am I here? And what's the last thing God said to me? You know, when you don't know what God's saying to you now, well, what's the last thing he said to you? Uh, uh, Chuck Smith used to say something similar to that. 
But Psalm 16, again, I'm just going to read an excerpt. You can read the whole thing later for homework if you wish. It says, um, I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And the psalmist says, um, I have set the, the, the Lord always before me, because he is my right hand, and I shall not be moved. But he says before that, my heart also instructs me in the night seasons. And that's what causes him to set the Lord always before him. That uh, when it's night, when it's dark, he says his heart instructs him. And well, the scripture says that a heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? But I think what he's saying here is that just like he would say, well, how can a young man cleanse his way? Well, by hiding God's word in his heart. And I think that in these dark times, our heart will instruct us. If we've been spending time with the Lord, if we know the Lord, our heart, we're going to remember scriptures. God is going to use it and stir up scriptures that we've read uh, by his spirit or he'll give us a scripture. And when it's dark, you know, we need to turn on that light. And sometimes that's the only light we got is remembering the last thing God gave us or remembering a scripture that we know is true, even if we don't feel it's true. Um, you know, my kids love my flashlights, especially Mia. I have a really powerful one that I carry on me every day, and I don't let her play with it because you can't, you can't look at it at all. Like, it stuns you. Um, but then I have another little one that's got like a little gooseneck on it, and she loves to play with that one, so I let her play with that. Um, but they also have night lights that at night, they like to have a little night light on. And sometimes when they get scared, it's nice to have a little light because the darkness can be scary. Even if you know nothing is there, you still kind of get, eh, you kind of get a little weirded out by it. I think that's the same thing. That when it's dark, we need to focus on whatever light we have available. You know, to remember what God told us when it was light. You know, when it was daytime, when the scriptures, when you were reading the Bible, even in the morning, when it was light, when you had your face in the Bible, and now it's 2 o'clock, and you're dealing with a problem at work. Well, remember the light. Remember the light. You know, old verses or messages or scriptures or insights, write them down. Write them down. I don't need to tell you guys that. Um... You know, I have this drawer full of old journals. I used to journal all the time. I don't do it as much anymore, and I probably should. But, um, you know, and I don't even know that I necessarily go in there, but knowing that I have a bunch of old journals of stuff that God spoke to me. Um, but really what I like to do is in the Bible when I'm reading and something sticks out, whether it's for me or whether it's just an interesting verse or whatever it is, I'll highlight it or underline it. And a lot of times if I feel like the verse is for me, I'll put a little date next to it. And so as I'm reading in my Bible years later, There'll be, I'll come across a scripture and there'll be a little date and maybe like I'll say something about it and I'll go, wow, yeah, I remember when that was going on and, and God said that. Or I remember that when, when that was going on. And I think when we pray about situations, we pray about things that go on in our life and God answers that prayer with the scripture. We need to highlight it. We need to remember. We need to write it down. We need to do whatever we need to do. Because if we're going through a dark season, we need a light. And if that's the light God gave us, we need to remember that it's light. And you know what the enemy loves to do? He loves to try and make us forget about those things. Our flesh loves to start doubting it. You know, the moment you don't highlight it or write it down or try and remember it, a week later you go, did God really say that to me? Was that really the verse? Where was that verse again? But I know that when we do pay attention, that it does go a long way. And we're going to close here in a minute. Um, you know, sometimes that's all we have. Uh, sometimes it's hard to hear God or sometimes he's being quiet on purpose. And those can be hard seasons. And we need to rely on what he's spoken to us in past seasons um, even more. You know, and we need the light of the scripture to cut through darkness. Like Hebrews 4.12 would say that it's able to pierce between bone and marrow, sword and spirit, soul and spirit. 
Um, or Matthew 24. You know, for time, we're not going to read it, but it talks about the coming seasons and the end time seasons and that more seasons are going to come. But don't worry that, that uh, God's got it under control. You know, in Ecclesiastes 3, um, you turn there if you wish. I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You know, Ecclesiastes is another one of these, these great books that I love. And we'll read, uh, you know, the first, at least the first eight, eight verses here. It says, To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of war and a time of peace. That there really is a time and a season for everything in life. You know, you're not going to have a harvest season if you don't have a planting season. Um, some seasons come and go whether we want it or not, but other seasons require us to either hold back that love or hold back that hate or to go out and go forward in war. You know, uh, moving. Uh, I tried counting how many times I've moved in my life, and it's at least 15. It's more if you count the several moves in college back and forth or when we were between places from coming down here. Um, uh, or I remember being single or being married, or it's hard to remember the, the 10 months before we had Mia, um, or what it was like, um, you know, not having kids or only having one kid or now only having two. I'm sure we'll, we'll be hard to remember once we have three. I can remember being in, in different groups of friends growing up, different schools, different um, everything, different jobs, different interests, uh, different tastes, whatever it is. Um, you know, that there are all these seasons I can look back at my life, and I'm sure you guys can do the same. You know, 2 Corinthians 6 2, he's quoting Isaiah 49, says, For he says, In an acceptable time I have heard you, in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day, the, the day of salvation. That no matter what season we're in, God wants us to turn to him. You know, uh, thankfully I know that we're all saved in here, but um, if we weren't, that no matter what season is, I mean, a lot of people wait till hard times. God says, Come to me now. You don't know what the next season is going to bring. You know, there's this video I came across on YouTube there. This guy was videotaping his house and it's three it's three minutes long and the tornado hits his house and uh they don't it's like it's just a, like a security cam i think but um apparently uh his wife died in the incident his wife he survived and his wife died you don't know and you look at this video and you say oh the tornado is that far away but three minutes later his whole house is overtaken by this thing we don't know what's going to happen then even if see if things seem fine that man we don't know we need to turn to the lord uh, Philippians uh, four eleven through thirteen says, "Now that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be debased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me." That Paul says, "I know what it's like to go through seasons, guys. I've been in seasons of need, and a lot of times we think as believers that yeah, God is going to supply all our need, right? But Paul's saying that I I suffered need." And yet God allowed that in one of his servants' lives. And we think about that. You know, Our life isn't always going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, as some might say. Sometimes we might suffer need. And it might be a season that God is allowing us to suffer that need um, uh, to purify us or to prepare us or to help us just to learn to trust him a little bit more. Because in reality, if 
we have a little bit of need here on earth. It's real easy to say, you know, I, thankfully my kids always have food. I can't imagine what it would be like to have real need. But man, in heaven, it's not going to matter anymore. You know, and, and besides all that, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That, that God is the one who strengthens him. And no matter what season of life he's in, no matter what need he's feeling, no matter what blessing he has in his pocket, he knows that God is his strength. And that's what God wants from you and I. And I think we need to, to remember uh, Genesis, uh, I think it's 8.14. Uh, it's after the flood. Uh, it's, uh, 8.15 it says, And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your, bring, and your wives with you. Um, no, no, sorry, it's a little bit further than that. Here we go. Um, verse 20 says, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake, although his imagination of his heart is evil from his youth, nor will I again destroy every living thing as I have done, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. That we have a promise from God that although in a sense seasons ceased, uh, for a season of the flood, God's never going to do that again. That there are always going to be seasons. As long as we look around, there's always, sorry Al Gore, but there's always going to be summer, winter, fall, and spring. That there's always going to be na- daytime and nighttime as long as the earth remains. God says, and that's a promise to us. And if God is faithful to allow these things to continue, He's going to be faithful to us. And no matter what season we're in, seed time or harvest, famine or drought, um, day or night, God is with us. And as Paul exhorted us. We need to be strengthened by Christ no matter what it is. You know, because we can't escape the seasons around us. I mean, you know, uh, in New York there's a saying, I don't know if it's still down here, but uh, uh, what do they call them? Uh, winter birds or something? Snowbirds? Where the old people from up north go down to Florida. I've heard that that happens over in Arizona and that region too, that people from up north move down south uh, in the winter. You know, that we can't, they're trying to escape seasons. And in life we can't escape them. But you know what? God wants us to go through them. And as we go through them, he wants us to gain a heart of wisdom. And that heart of wisdom ultimately is to look forward to heaven and be prepared for our eternal season there. And Father, we ask that, God, you would, whatever season we find ourselves in this morning, whatever season we find ourselves in uh, next week or next month, that, God, you would get us through them. That, God, we would hold on to you. That, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're with us. Thank you that you're our Father. And God, would you just help us by your spirit um, to be seasoned by the seasons and to, um, to not be bitter. Uh, God, forgive us and help us be strong in you and be our strength, Lord, we ask. And Lord, would you help us reach out to others in hard seasons and to be there for them and to minister to them. And we ask it, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.